morning. Southwoods, we're so glad you're here this morning. I'm excited. Are you excited? I hope you're excited. Let's stand up together. Don't you just love it when in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of the yuck we've all been dealing with over the last many, many months, that God gives us two days of spring and winter? Is that not awesome? It's for y'all. It's not for me because I like winter, but... I'm so happy that he gave us spring for a couple days for those who love it. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for watching online. Thank you for being here this morning together with us. And we're going to spend some time in the presence of our God. Amen.
Oh, again, so glad you're here. We're going to continue to worship.
for uh, this amazing day that you've given us, grateful for every soul, every heart, every believer within the sound of our voices, either here in front of us or at home. So grateful, Lord, that we get to be part of what you're doing today. This is a great thing. Anytime you do something, it's a great thing. Help us to remember that, Lord. Help us to know that you are moving on our behalf. You are doing things on our behalf. You are the greatest thing that ever happened to us. And we're so grateful for you this morning, Lord. Have your way in this place. Holy Spirit, rise up. Have your way in this place in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stay standing for just a moment, and we are going to have a little bit of information about giving here in just a second. But I just wanted to draw your attention really quick. Just FYI, our online giving has changed. So there's some changes there. If you have questions, please uh, talk with Jackie, contact her, and she can certainly help you with that. So let's check out the video. opportunity yet this morning to grab communion. This is a good time for you to go back and do that because we're going to be having communion here pretty soon. But in the meantime, let's turn around and wave to our neighbors.
going to um, partake in communion here in just a few minutes. And, you know, maybe there's some of us that are just wondering, why do we do this every week? A lot of us know why we do it every week, but maybe there's some of us today that don't know why we do it every week. Well, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, or do this to remember me. And I was thinking about that. It's like, well, I think I remember to do that, but the Bible also compares us to sheep. Now, sheep need to be led, and sheep need to be cared for, and sheep need to be fed, and the shepherd has to take them from one pasture to the next to make sure they're getting what they need, and he has to watch over them to keep them safe. Well, that's what Jesus does for us. And you know, there's sometimes I'm thinking, I might be praying, and I might be asking for some things that are just, sometimes I think God hears this. That's what I think. I don't know about y'all, but that's what I think. He hears that from me. And I know he doesn't. God hears every prayer we pray. But think about it. We do need to remember. We have to be reminded. That's why the word needs to be in front of our eyes all the time. That's why we need to be in a fellowship. We are like sheep. And like sheep, we were lost. Some sheep get lost. And Jesus was the shepherd that brought us back to God because of what he did on the cross. He died on the cross for our sins. That paid the price for us to be in eternity with him, for our names to be written in the Lamb's book of life. If we'll just ask, will you please be my Savior, my Lord, my King, if you'll follow him with every part of your life. So this morning, remember. Maybe you have some specific things you need to remember about God and your relationship with him and how much you love him and what he's done for you to be grateful. Let's do that as we take communion this morning.
speaking this morning. I want to welcome you, and I secondly just want us to pray together as a church. You know, there's a lot of things going on in our world that have been going on for years, honestly. But, you know, there's... Uh, I don't want to get all political, but, there's, but the fact is um, somebody's morals, values, convictions are always legislated. Somebody's. And in a lawless environment, things that are contrary to God's convictions and beliefs end up being woven into otherwise seemingly good legislation. That's how it works. Uh, evil is never just straight in your face. And right now, I, there's some of that kind of stuff going on in our world. It's been going on for quite a while, so it's not like it's just begun, but it is accelerating. It is. We'd be naive to not recognize that. We'd be naive as a church to not pause and pray about that. Uh, and it's important. The kind of stuff I'm teaching this morning, the kinds of things I've been doing in the series, it is so, so important for your well-being and mine spiritually and long-term. Because I just want to remind you, uh, you remember what your life expectancy is? It's everlasting. It's everlasting. So your relationship with God is more important than anything else in this life, anything that you have, anything else, any hope or dream or aspiration you have. And so what we're doing is of great, great importance. And it's just so important that we internalize all of this and we take it seriously. We, we learn from the faith of those who have gone before us. And, uh, but right now, before we dive into our message time, I just want us to bow our heads and pray. Let's just pray for our nation. Uh, pray, um, pray that God's will will be done on earth as it is in the heavens, is what Jesus taught us to pray, okay? Let's bow our heads together and pray. Father, we thank you that you care about us, uh, that you never leave us, that you are faithful beyond our comprehension. Uh, we're so grateful. Apart from you, we'd have no hope. Apart from the promise of life and the resurrection from the grave, Lord Jesus, we'd have no hope beyond this life. But because of you, we know that what we see is not all there is. There's far more, just as there's oxygen that exists though we don't see it we know it's there and we know that as the wind blows your spirit is present in the same fashion and you are ever present in our lives you've just given us in your great mercy space to humbly choose you as you lord jesus chose us on the cross we want to thank you for your merciful sacrifice. We thank you for all that you've done for us. But this morning, we want to pause, Lord. We just want to pray what Jesus taught us to pray, Father. Lord, may your will be done in my life, in our lives, in this church. May your will be done on earth as it is in the heavens. You're King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord Jesus, you're the soon returning king. We know that a power encounter of a magnitude that we can only minutely fathom is on the horizon out there somewhere in the days ahead. We don't know if it'll be in our lifetime or beyond it, but Lord, we know this, that there's no one that compares to you. And right now, we just pray, Father, and humble ourselves before you, acknowledge your greatness. We bend our knees now in spirit. We ask, Lord, that you'd help 
our country, our neighbors, our community, our families, all of us to humble ourselves and recognize that this did not just all happen by coincidence, but there's a God in heaven who has convictions and your will will be done on this earth one way or the other sooner or later here. So Lord, we just ask that you'd help our country to walk in your ways, to honor you with our laws, our behaviors, our resources. And Father, we ask that you would vanquish darkness, which always has and always will until that day when it's put away in the fiery pit of hell. It will always oppose you. Help us to remember that your nature, though, is loving and kind, but in your mercy and goodness, you must judge evil. And so, God, we, we ask that you, uh, that you do your thing, that, you will, that your will will be done, that people will choose it, but if they don't, would you bring judgment on the evil that opposes you? We recognize our struggles not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rules of darkness, rest of us are just sort of pawns and puppets used by them. But God, I just ask that you would, that you'd show mercy to our people and that you would show justice to the evil in the heavenly realms that wars against all that is good. Father, may we learn from your word this morning. Would you open our eyes, our hearts, our minds? Would you help us to be filled with your Holy Spirit that we might become more faithful, more virtuous, then we could become any other way and we'll give you credit for the good that results just as your followers and believers have done for centuries. It's in Jesus' name we lift this prayer. Amen. Amen. Bless you all. Thank you for indulging my lengthy prayer there. So I appreciate that, but it's our prayer, hopefully. You know, we're in a series right now that I've entitled Living the Faith-Filled Way. And I want to begin uh, today's message by reading for all of us, a passage of scripture that has stretched the faith of countless believers for centuries. And uh, probably some of you are familiar with this passage. It's already tweaked you a little bit, but I just want to start here, okay? James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says this. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for, what's the text say? Great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now, let me just ask you, how many of you like tests? Uh, if you're like me, um, I'm not particularly fond of tests. I don't like COVID tests. I don't like, mul don't like multiple choice essay tests. I don't like blood tests. I don't like eye tests, driving tests, radon tests, pick your test for the most part. I'm not terribly fond of it. A lot of you can identify with that. You understand that sentiment. We'll, we'll look carefully one more time at verse 3. Notice what it says. For you know that if your faith is tested... Your endurance has a chance to grow. Did, did I read that right? Verse 3, for you know that, notice what it says, when. Notice it doesn't say if, it says when. For you know that 
when your faith is tested, your endurance has to grow. Now, let me just say, Scripture is giving all of us who don't like tests a little heads up here. That's what God's doing in a passage like this. It's telling us that all of us, no exceptions, are going to experience the testing of our faith. And even though we may not like it, the fact is, we'll grow from it. We'll grow from it. Lots of things that our children, when they're growing up, you know, they, they, we, we make them do, not because they're excited about it, because they'll grow from it. How many of your kids just foam at the mouth with excitement about going to school some days? You know, they, they just don't. Maybe they foam at the mouth, but it's not because it's excitement or that. You're right. It's just like that. There are so many things in life that we just are not thrilled with, but we grow from it. And what God is trying to convey to us in a passage like this is that the testing of your faith and mine is one of those kinds of things. And today we're going to hear and learn from three young men from Israel's history who masterfully modeled faith and faithfulness for all of us and for, for all the people who lived since them. And they did it during an extreme test of their faith. A, faith, a test of their faith that they grew from, but they would have never chosen. So many of our tests of faith are chosen by someone beyond, not us, right? It's, some, it's someone from God. And otherwise, it didn't test our faith. If we picked it, it'd be like slam dunk, right? I mean, the whole nature of a test of your faith is that it's something beyond what you think you're capable of enduring. That's the whole point of it. Otherwise, well, today we're looking at the lives of three young men who had an extreme test of their faith, and they were named Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And some of you are saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, who, who's that? And those are their Hebrew names. Some of you didn't even know they had Hebrew names because most of us are more familiar with them by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Every one of us can learn numerous lessons about faith-filled living from these three men. And uh, as I dive into today's message, I just do so um, wishing that I had about another 45 minutes beyond what I have so that I could do another message or two, try to cram them into that time frame because there is so much in these men's lives. So many things that we can learn about faith, so much we can learn about endurance, so much we can learn about, about uh, the faithfulness of God in this passage, so much that we can learn about so many things, about how, how to live in a culture of compromise spiritually. And, and on and on we could go with things that, that, that are, are rooted in this passage. But this morning what I'm going to do is we're going to talk about some lessons about faith-filled living from these three men that we can all learn. I hope you'll listen really carefully to the story, whether it's the first time you've heard it or if it's the hundredth time you've heard it. If you'll listen close, I honestly believe God will speak to you through the life experience of these three men. Turn in your Bibles, if you have one, with me to uh, Daniel chapter 3. That's where we're going to be reading from. Uh, before we start reading, looking at the text, you need to know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not living in Babylon by their choice. You need to understand that. I mean, the king of Babylon and his armies had taken them and many other Jews captive when they had destroyed Jerusalem a few years earlier. And so here they were, captives in a foreign land, they're in Babylon against their will. 
And I want you to think about this. As a conquered people group, how do you think they were regarded by the elite within the Babylonian culture? Let's just say they didn't get many likes on their social media posts. And they were not popular. So in an effort to force religious and social conformity, in an attempt to unite the diverse population under the uncontested authority of a king, I want you to see what the Bible tells us in Daniel 3. You can read it in your own Bible. Uh, it's an idea that the king came up with here. And uh, just follow along if you don't have your own Bible with me on the screen. Or if your Bible is different than the New Living, which I'm reading from, feel free to follow along too. But Daniel 3, we're going to start at verse 1, where the Bible tells us that King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue. 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers and officials and governors and advisors and treasurers and judges and magistrates and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he'd set up. You, you get the picture? I mean, basically he's inviting everybody in the governmental legislature, I mean, everybody who had anything to do with the leadership of Babylon. He's got them all coming. Verse 3 says, So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted, and this is, you know, kind of proclamations before, you know, the giant Bose sound system and stuff. So the herald shouts to all of these people, you know, from various uh, places within the, uh, within the place that they were located says, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, zither, I don't even know how to say that, so I'm sorry if, you're, if you do. Zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Do you, hear, do you hear the king's statute that was being communicated about the statue? Not interesting, the similarities of words. So at the sound of the musical instruments, verse 7 tells us, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, he says, they say, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's kind of like there's some Jews, not to mention names or anything. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. Reminding the king of what he already knew, no doubt. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. The Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or worship the gold statue I've set up? 
I'll give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace and then what God will be able to rescue you from my power. Now before we go on to hear their response to the king, I want to show you an example of an ancient furnace. I've got a picture of it here. You can see it here. It's kind of what, what they looked like in ancient times. Would have been something like this. Uh, they made them various sizes, but this is a pretty, uh, a pretty uh, normal size here. They would kindle the fire and the wood in the inside of it. There would be things like, uh, you know, they, they would, you know, they, they were common in ancient times for, for curing, hardening, solidifying bricks, pottery, tile, other common objects. We do the exact same thing today, you know, with pottery. Just different kilns. These are just giant ones. Well, the kings of ancient Babylon thought this was an amazing thing because they thought, wow, you know, if we've got somebody who's rebellious, if we've got insubordinate person, uh, idea, bing. Let's just heat it up hotter than normal, throw them in, and it'll be a testimony to everybody else, don't disobey the king. This is one of the ways that people in Babylon in ancient times were executed. Not a wonderful thing, as you can imagine. Well, with that in mind, the Bible tells us in Daniel 3, verses 16 and following, continues and says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. I bet you could have heard a pen drop in that room. Look at verse 17 again. The God whom we serve is able. I mean, it's a statement of their belief and conviction about God's power. He is able to save us. And he goes on, they go on and say, he will rescue us. It's a statement of their faith and their belief that God not just can, but will intervene on their behalf. Then verse 18, but even if he doesn't, I mean, it's just a humble acknowledgement on their part that they are surrendered to God's will and we're all, we all have oxygen at his mercy and according to God's pleasure. And so there might come a time when God chooses not to rescue them, they think to themselves. So in humility and surrender to God's will, not presuming on him, they just humbly say, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, Your Majesty, we're not going to worship your gods. We're not going to sin against the one true God. That's what they're saying. The Bible goes on to say in verse 19 that Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. You have to understand in the Hebrew, that's not embellishment. That's what it says. It, it paints that picture exactly. His face became contorted 
distorted. He, he just couldn't. Nobody talks to the king this way. Certainly not a subjugated people group that are less than all of us. That's how he thought to himself. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual, the Bible says. And then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army. Get rid of these weaklings who are about to tie him up. Give me, give me three of the strongest men. Tie these guys. And I would suspect that because in the king in his rage, you know, guess what? I bet the knots were tight. Bet they were. He got the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king and his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, look what happens. The flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. Three of the strongest men in his army died throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unarmed. The fourth looks like a god. Think about it. This is a, a roaring, blazing furnace, and somebody stands out brighter, more brilliant, more glorious than a furnace heated seven times hotter than normal. Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. The high officers, officials, governors, advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Nebuchadnezzar said, praise the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command, were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other god who can rescue like this. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province Babylon. You know, Nebuchadnezzar sounds like somebody you'd really like to hang out with, doesn't he? Somebody you'd really want as your boss. Some of you maybe think, he is my boss, but he's not. He's not. He's not. This guy's worse. Well, every one of us can learn numerous lessons about faithful living from the experiences of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Many, many of them. Uh, and here are a few, and I would say in no particular order, and I wish I had time to uh, point out a number of other things, but Lesson number one that we learn about faith-filled living here is that testing, believe it or not, strengthens faith. Testing strengthens faith. We see that in the text, though it's sort of veiled. Just as the fiery furnace was and still is used 
to harden and solidify soft clay. We learn from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that times of trial and testing harden and solidifies our otherwise soft faith. Scripture speaks of you and me as jars of clay. It's not a coincidence. It's not. As James 1 says, when our faith is tested, the testing of our faith produces endurance in us. When our faith is tested, our endurance has a chance to grow. Here's the idea. It has the chance to strengthen, to become more solid, to become more firm, to become more complete. We've all got to remember that trials and testing are an indispensable part of faith development. So like James 1 tells us, we might as well consider it all joy rather than just resent them. They're purposeful. And you will survive. You'll do all right. If you just hang in there and remember that the testing of my faith is going to make me stronger. Maybe at the moment I don't see it. I don't know how it's going to happen. I'm having trouble believing it, but I'm just going to hold the line. Just going to hold the line. That's maybe what you need to do. Testing strengthens faith. Lesson number two. We learn about faithful living here in this passage and, and others we could look at is testing is a time to verbalize our faith. Some of us, when we get in times of testing, we clam up. It's, it's like we're more likely to speak less when the truth of the matter is during a time of testing, really part of God's point in bringing tests into our lives is so we'll actually have an opportunity for a testimony. Testimony. Have you ever noticed the word testimony has the word test at the beginning? Because it is God's plan. As you and I go through tests, then we're able to share our testimony of God's faithfulness and how we've grown in faith as a byproduct of it in time. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the midst of the most difficult of circumstances, verbalized their faith. Was it perfect? I'm sure it wasn't. If you could ask them today, I'm sure they'd say, I wish we'd have said this. I wish we'd have, said, I wish we'd have done this or whatever. Um, but they bore witness to someone who was unreasonable, truly dangerous, and let the chips fall where they may. That's what they did. Listen to their testimony again. I mean, think of the chutzpah required to do this. Okay? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Daniel 3.16 says, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to, your, to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. And their words were so persuasive in that moment that Nebuchadnezzar fell to his knees and repented of his arrogance and idolatry. And Oh, I reckon, of course he didn't do that. God didn't expect him to in that moment. Sometimes when we share 
bear witness of what God's doing in our lives. We're just, we're, we're, we're expecting the other person to do what's unrealistic for them in that moment. But their testimony, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's testimony, what it did is it made their faith in God clear enough in this moment that when God showed up, Nebuchadnezzar understood who was God and who was not. That was essentially what they were doing in this moment. And none of that would have happened if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been silent. Or if they just capitulated and bent the knee like a whole bunch of other people had done. Jesus echoes the importance of this whole idea of bearing witness and testifying to who God is and what our faith and so forth. He, he says it this way in Matthew 10, 32 and following. He says, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Clearly, Jesus wants to be among those who testify about our faith, testify about our surrender to Jesus, acknowledging Him. He wants us to testify about God's faithfulness. And of course, if we fail at some point, like Peter did, I remind you, what God wants us to do is repent in that moment and do better the next time. And not just think that denying him is no big deal. It is a big deal. This is one of Nebuchadnezzar's limited opportunities to learn about the one true God in the heavens who created Nebuchadnezzar. And contrary to his understanding, cared about Nebuchadnezzar more than Nebuchadnezzar cared about anything or anyone else. We all encounter people like that. God, God longs for them to know from you, from me. When we end up before kings, when we end up before people in authority, his plan, if you look at the New Testament, of his apostles and the disciples of the early church was that he, Jesus himself says, when you stand before kings, don't even worry about what you're going to say. Just, just say what the Holy Spirit gives to you. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. That's what you and I need to do. Regardless of who we're in front of, more could be said. But lesson number three about faith-filled living is that testing is a time we're most likely to discover God's presence and power. Sometimes we wonder, where is God in our lives? And let me just tell you, sometimes it's like He doesn't bother to show up in your life and mine just like every second that, you know, you're pouring milk for the cereal in the morning. You know, he's not, he's not, probably not going to show up during that time, okay? But here's the thing. Times of testing... Odds are higher that he's going to show up. Where was God when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego experienced the testing of their faith? He was with them in the fire. Right? That's what the text tells us. We just sang about it a little bit ago. 
That's where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego encountered God's presence and His power. Daniel 3, uh, 25 tells us, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. And when they came out of the fire, Daniel 3, 27 tells us, the fire had not touched them, not a hair on their heads was singed, their clothing was not scorched, they didn't even smell of smoke. I tell you, I, I can clean out the fireplace without a fire and I smell like smoke. Okay? Here's what we got to remember, every one of us. God chose to deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace, not from the furnace. The same is often going to be true for you and me. And just as God was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, He will be with you and me in whatever trial, tribulation, trouble, difficulty comes our way. Undoubtedly, as they were standing before the king, they wondered. I mean, it's just like the, the stakes just kept getting higher and higher, and they probably wondered, where is God right now? But God showed up in the fire. And if you and I are faithful, God will show up in those moments with us too. Because that's... The nature of our God, He's faithful. He's faithful. Now, there are several other lessons and observations about faith that we could make if time allowed, but I want to take this moment to apply all of this to us because that's really very important for us. And I just want you to think about I me. Mean, what kind of tests are you facing right now? Maybe some of you here are listening. You know, you've got some health issue going on, and that's the test that you're facing right now. Maybe it's a financial issue. You've done all kinds of things to try to deal with it and you have not figured it out and you have come to the conclusion you're not going to figure it out on your own. You've got a relational situation. You can't figure out how to entangle it. You've been good with relationships. Suddenly you got this one and it's like, I don't know what to do. I should know what to do, but I don't know what to do. Maybe you're in a situation where you want to follow God, but there are people in your life who don't want to. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's some family member who's important to you and you care deeply about it. And oddly enough, they're just making it difficult for you. Like strategically. In fact, you wonder, is this intentional on their part to make this hard? And you kind of think, I think it is. I think it is. Maybe your faith, your convictions are being tested in a work environment or by someone else. Here's what you and I need to keep in mind, is that to strengthen and perfect our faith, God has to allow us to experience times of testing. It's an indispensable 
part of faith development. We don't have to like it necessarily. Oh, James says, consider it all joy, but he's just saying, he's just talking to our minds and saying, come on, just, you know, this is going to lead to good. It's going to produce endurance. It's going to produce all these good character things. So just, just decide in your mind that it's okay, that it's good because, because the end will be good. The end will be worth it. But right now, ah, I like this. That's normal. And God's saying, just hang on and trust. Be patient. Be faith-filled. Endure. I'll be with you. That's what he's saying. I'll be with you. And if you will, hang in there. God once said to his people, Israel, what I think he'd say to you. I want to invite you to bow your head with me. If you're online, just bow your head. If you're, a place, if you're driving, don't do that. But it, you know, if you're at you know, a place where you can, you know, just bow your heads with me. And I want you to listen to what God said to his people Israel. Because hear this, when you and I choose to walk the path of faith, particularly in these extreme situations that just seem to uh, unravel our peace in significant ways... This is what he said to Israel, and I believe he's saying it to you. I believe he is. So just receive it as I read these words over you. They're from Isaiah 43. The first few verses of the chapter says this. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, and listen to what God's saying to you, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours. Because you are precious to me. You are honored. And I love you. With your heads bowed, I just want you to think about this, friends. God exchanged Jesus for you. He traded his life so that he could get yours. Because you are precious to him, Jesus endured the trials of the cross the sufferings of this world so that he could deliver you from the flames of hell and the consequences of your sin. You are honored. God loves you. You are precious to him. Maybe this morning you just need to spend a moment just looking heavenward and just saying, Lord Jesus, thank you what you've done for me. You say it even as I'm saying it. You say, Lord Jesus, thank you for, for what you've done for me. You say it in your spirit. Thank you that you gave your life in exchange for mine. Thank you that you suffered on the cross to deliver me from the flames of hell and the consequences of my sin. 
as you chose me, Lord, I'm choosing you. Give my knees, my feeble knees, strength. Stabilize my spirit. Help me to walk in faithfulness, Lord. Help me to patiently endure the testing and strengthening of my faith. Like those who've gone before me. Like you yourself did, Jesus. Father, I ask that you'll just bless everyone who's within the sound of my voice. That you would help them to remember that there's not a moment that they experience difficulty, oppression, suffering, pain, that you don't experience those things with them. You know what we're going through. And you are able to do something about that. And in due time, you will deliver us and set us free. But if this happens to be one of those moments in my life when you choose to allow the worst to happen, Help us, O oh Lord, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Help us like Job. Help us like Habakkuk the prophet. Help us like others who have gone before to be able to accept that, yea, though they slay me, though evil conquers me, I will still not bow my knee because you are good, O oh God, and you are faithful, and in the end you win. And there's more to life than my comfort and temporal peace. There's an eternal peace that far outweighs all of that that you've made possible for me, Father, and for all who will put their faith in Christ. Help us, Lord, to trust and obey because really there is no other way, just as the old song says. Now, Lord, as we reflect on these things in the days ahead, help us to stand firm. And would you, by your mercy, cause the strengthening of our faith, may it grow, and may we become perfect and complete, needing nothing except you. Go with us, Lord, as we wrap up this morning. This is our prayer. We lift it together in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.